0: Turn in your Bibles, if you will, again to Genesis chapter 35, and that's where we'll be camping out for the most part today. I do put some scriptures on the PowerPoint that might save a little bit of time in looking them up. So today we're going to be looking at some spiritual house cleaning in Jacob's life. And beyond the introduction, we see God's instruction coming to Jacob now in the midst of his predicament from our last lesson. And then Jacob's correction, God's protection of him, and Jacob's devotion. Now, God knows everything that's going to happen, He knows the decisions that we're going to make. It's all a part of His plan. So sometimes we would ask ourselves well, if He knows everything, then why are we doing all this stuff? Why do we pray? Why do we make any effort if it's all just in the bag, so to speak? Well, somehow, miraculously, the things that we do, the decisions that we make, and the prayers that we offer are integrated into God's plan in such a way that it makes a difference. We're going to see God telling Jacob some things, and Jacob responds to that, makes some decisions, gets his house straightened out, And then God blesses him. And we want to suggest that it's the same way with ourselves. As we make the decisions to follow the Lord and as we obey His commands, do what He tells us to do, not only does that express our love for Him, but that paves the way for blessing in our lives. Have you ever come to the realization in your life that it was time for a spiritual house cleaning. Perhaps you heard a sermon that was convicting. Perhaps you were just reading along in the Scriptures, and the Holy Spirit spoke to you about some things. Possibly it could have been someone who was bold enough to point out some weak areas in your life that need to be strengthened a little bit, or perhaps some blatant sin habit that was a real danger to you that needed to be addressed. We're talking about spiritual house cleaning. When I was a young man, a discipler type of guy encouraged me to keep a journal. And I began to do so not consistently, but then more consistently as time went along. One reason I didn't like to keep a journal was that the journal would talk back to me and tell me things that I needed to know but I didn't want to hear. But one reason I liked to keep the journal was that I knew I needed to hear those things and I really didn't want to hear them from somebody else. You know how that is. And I knew that God would send someone along to tell me what I needed to hear. If I didn't get it myself out of His Word and out of the journal. What I mean is, as I recorded things in the journal. Over time, that would speak back to me. And I could see trends, and I could see myself making the same old mistakes over and over again. And that was good for me to have someone just in the private council of my own devotion times to tell me things that were wrong and things that were weak. So I'm looking at uh, June the 7th of 1976, I was 35 years old. Lucille had been born in January of that year, and it's marked important up at the top of the page. For the better part of the 75-76 school year, I was a Bible teacher. I had been spiritually—I've been spiritually dry, except for spurts. Now that's bad when the Bible teacher is spiritually dry. I attribute this to the loss of memorization and meditation on the Word. Also, the loss of my 3.30 a.m. to 5.30 prayer time. I don't know how we ever did that, but I lost it at that time. Now, look at my life when things are going strong, and then I see myself going through a dropout cycle where I just barely exist spiritually. Then God drives me to my knees, and after the last time, I know I've got to get down to business with the Lord. Then it says in bold print, My devotional life is the prime area for Satan's attack on my life. Well, now here's something good about a spiritual house cleaning and spiritual renewal. It will give you a new perspective on life. A lot of times God doesn't change the circumstances. He changes the Christian, the person. And that's what happened in this case. This is just 13 days later, but a different perspective. This past year has definitely been the best one of my life. I've been consistent in my devotional time since I prayed all night about it three weeks ago. Also, I find that in Bible study, I have something to say and a message, and it's not just drudgery, drudgery for the people that are listening. I must be careful to guard against things that steal my devotion time. The good is the enemy of the best. And then again in bold print, it says, It has become evident in my life. I do things and accomplish things when on schedule. Off, I don't. It's that simple. Well, you can see that my journal was talking back to me and telling me that I needed to invest time with the Lord consistently, and in order to do that, I needed to get my life on a schedule. If not, it's just going to be a hit-or-miss basis, and many times it's during that miss moment that the enemy comes in to attack, just as Cody told us this morning. Well, we see Jacob in need of spiritual renewal, and God gives him some instruction God now has a word for Jacob to get him back on track. But first, let's get the connection between today's lesson and our last lesson. Do you remember what happened to Jacob and his family? Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and my men, being few in number... They will gather together against me and attack me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my household. God knows how to get our attention. And this time, he has Jacob's attention because Jacob is in a tight spot. But notice, God doesn't swoop down immediately and deliver him as we would hope that he would, <clears throat> especially in a situation when we're in a tight spot. But God likes to give us some time to think about these things. To think about where we are, and where we've been, and where we need to be. So this didn't come immediately, but God does come to him eventually and tell him what to do. Are you thinking about some situation this morning that you're in? That you're hoping for God to come in and deliver you from, well, God may be giving you some time to evaluate some things, to see if some things need to be cleaned up possibly. There was good reason for Jacob wanting to be clearing out of Shechem. His sons and his daughter had created quite a mess for him while they lived in that town. Dinah, you remember Leah's girl, went out to see the Canaanite girls. Something you just didn't do in that day unless you were willing to risk happening what actually happened to Dinah. And then Simeon and Levi, Dinah's full brothers, cooked up a scheme to murder every man in the town of Shechem. And then the rest of the brothers joined them as they plundered the place and stole everything that they had. They probably stashed away some of the idols that were made out of gold and silver just in case they needed them later. At least that's what it looks like. If they did so, that's inviting the influence of the enemy. Because if you have pictures or you have things that have to do with the occult or statues or whatever it may be, then you're inviting the enemy to come on your territory even if those things might be coming into your home through the electronic media. That's his turf. And we don't want his turf there in our own homes. So besides the threat of hostility from neighboring tribes, there was this internal problem in Jacob's family with idolatry. Idols were worshipped in Canaan. How long can a family... Be influenced by a pagan culture and not give in to the immorality that is connected with that. Ray Comfort writes a book about a pagan culture, Hollywood Be Thy Name. It's interesting. He says that uh, Hollywood has specialized in taking people who were unknown and making an idol out of them. For instance, here is Thomas. Mapother, my my the fourth, and of course we know him as Tom Cruise. Bernard Schultz, Tony Curtis, Archibald Leach had to be changed to Cary Grant, and then Marion Michael Morrison, who became John Wayne. Hollywood picked these unknowns out of the dirt and shaped them after its own image. It breathed into them the life of celebrity. Then it enthroned itself as God, and millions bowed the knee to its revered name. Each week the faithful believed in Hollywood and lined up to pay their tithes and fill the meeting place they called a theater. Hollywood's name became hallowed, and the entire world sung her praises. Its kingdom had come, its will was being done on earth, as it provided the daily bread of the massive entertainment industry. Its power and glory became so great that it eclipsed the personal light of its own stars. For most of Hollywood stars, it was more than just a name change. An image had to be created. Photos were taken. Expensive clothes purchased. Hairstyles changed. Restrictions were laid down as to what an actor could and couldn't say publicly. And contracts were signed. Each person became a carefully shaped golden calf. A Hollywood graven image. A precious idol that would be looked up to and idolized by the world. The golden calf's sole purpose was to bring in money at the box office. Well, it's a pretty good description of a pagan culture. And we want to be careful that we are not influenced the way Jacob and his family, at least his family, was influenced. When he hired or acquired servants in Mesopotamia, they must have been idolaters. That's all that they knew. Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife, you remember, stole Laban, her dad's household idols, when they left Padanaram, And I don't think Jacob knew about it at that time, and yet its influence began to be felt. So why would she have stolen them if she didn't intend to use them occasionally for worship? I don't think they were just decoration for the tent at that time. And probably if she was using them, that influence would have spread throughout the household. And it seems that it did. Dads have to be on guard at all times for spiritual danger. Sometimes it may be subtle. Sometimes it may be blatant. But the enemy is looking for an opportunity. And it might come through Hollywood. It might come through something else. If your family is seeking to live for Christ, the attacks will come, as we've already noted this morning. So be certain that you're not inviting the enemy into your house through participation in some kind of idolatry. Jacob evidently didn't keep a journal because, as you see in verse 1, the Lord had to speak to him directly and tell him it was time for a spiritual house cleaning. God didn't have to say much. But what he said communicated the message that Jacob needed to hear. Verse 1, the Lord spoke. John Calvin says this about God's Word. For hereby we are taught whence our greatest consolation in our afflictions is to be sought. That is from God's Word. Let me go on. And also that it is the principal business of our life to depend upon the Word of God as those who are certainly persuaded that when he promised salvation, he will deal well with us so that we need not hesitate to walk through the midst of deaths. And I would add that there are three deaths in this chapter so that they're going to compel Jacob to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Rebecca, his mother's elderly nurse, probably known him since he was a boy, had come to live with them. And she died. And then Rachel, his beloved wife, died. And his venerable old dad, Isaac, at the end of the chapter. In verse 1, Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and live there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Bethel was the scene of Jacob's ladder. You remember the angels going up and down from heaven. So he says, Arrive, go to Bethel, live there, make an altar there to God. We noted in our last lesson that he probably should have gone to Bethel instead of to Shechem. And he probably should have made his home there. Or maybe in Hebron, where there were some people that at least knew about Jehovah God. But Jacob responds to this admonition from the Lord. Uh, it's no wonder that God had to speak to him directly because he seemed to have an affinity for this place, Shechem, but now he's in trouble there. And sometimes we think the Christian life would be easier if God just spoke to us and told us what to do. And then we just do it, just like Jacob did. But we forget that we have the Holy Spirit, the greater package that came on Pentecost. We have a completed Bible. We have the example of many... Men and women who have obeyed the Bible and the New Testament tells us that we have the mind of Christ. So if anything, it probably should be easier for us to obey than it would have been for Jacob way back then with about this much revelation compared to all the revelation we have, including the story that we're looking at this morning. How do you think Jacob is going to respond to God's instruction? He responds immediately to make the correction. Notice three things that he does. Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods which are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Put away the foreign gods. That's literally the gods of the foreigner. And the verb put away in the Hebrew means to discard. Not like put away your toys so you can get them back out later. This means get rid of them. Purify yourselves and change your garments probably represented a ceremonial cleansing. And we see that a little later in the book of Exodus. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. Now that brings us to an interesting question. If you cleanse your home of any kind of wrong influences there, like uh, movies perhaps, the ones that might be filled with immorality or promiscuity or profanity. But not just that, uh, even those that might rob your time, your energy, and your attention. And I'm not saying it's a sin to watch a clean movie, but sometimes if, if Hollywood gets a place in my heart, just like Ray Comfort nailed it, that can become idolatry. But if you get rid of all of those things that would be wrong, and then if you get rid of the cable television that brings some things in that are not so good, and any kind of immoral, indecent internet site, and you get rid of all of that sort of stuff, and you put on a coat and tie, and you come to church, does that represent spiritual renewal? Well, no. No. It might be a good beginning, except for the coat and tie parts. You don't have to do that. It might be a good start to get rid of some things, have a little spiritual house cleaning, as Jacob did. But it's got to go further than that, because we see Christ in the New Testament telling the Pharisees that it's not about an outward appearance. And it's not about just cleaning out the shelves and the books and the magazines, whatever it might be. It has to be a transaction that takes place in your heart. Now, it's good to remove the temptation because that's a sign of true repentance. But Christ told those guys, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate and that the outside may also be clean. It's all about cleansing your heart and the impurities that may creep in and replacing those thoughts with thoughts that are good and just and pure and noble. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, Paul tells us in the New Testament. Now, there's something in the way of motivation that might help you with your house cleaning, because sometimes house cleaning can be very difficult, especially if what needs to be cleansed has found a little place in my heart. It's to remember and rehearse everything that God has done for you. Think about all the prayers God has answered for us just in 2013. Many, many things that He has done for us. So in verse 3, Jacob is going over some of these things. And he says, let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Jacob thinks about all those times of distress. Esau chasing him, Laban getting on his case, chasing him back home. And he remembers that God had been with him and God had provided for him. And that prompted Jacob to get his house in order and get ready to go to Bethel as God had instructed. So once the house cleaning is done, what's to be done next? What do you think is going to happen with Jacob and his gang? We know at least they got the cleansing part, the put-off part, because we see in verse 4, they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods which they had and the rings which were in their ears, And Jacob hid them under the oak, which was near Shechem. They obeyed God by getting rid of all their idolatrous paraphernalia. Now, dads, do you think that they would have done that by themselves, people in the family and the household, if dad hadn't uh, encouraged them to do it? I don't think they would have done it on their own. But they did do it, and that's the important thing. What did Jacob do with all of these amulets and earrings and idols and things that they turned over to him? Well, he put he put them under an oak tree which was near Shechem. He buried them. I wouldn't try to attach too much mystical significance to that fact. Leave that to the critics. Doctor Herbert Lupo quotes one such liberal squalor, a uh, liberal scholar. Excuse me. The burial of idolatrous emblems under this sacred tree has some traditional meaning, which we cannot now explain. Always some mystery there, other than what's obviously going on. It's a good way to get rid of all this junk, and that's what Jacob does. It looks at, it looks like to me. Warren Wiersbe points out that the only place for sin is in the grave, and that's where Jacob puts it. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So now we see God's response to that, God's protection. Looking back, we can see that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob could have avoided some trouble and anxiety when they were in Canaan, coming to Canaan. Hindsight is always pretty good. It's easy for us to see that they could have been more committed to believing God's promises that He had given them. That would have resulted in a lot less anxiety. And it's the same thing for us. God gives us promises and we need to be claiming those promises, reviewing those promises, and believing those promises. Here's what God had told Jacob 30 years ago before today's lesson when he was running away from his brother. Genesis twenty-eight thirteen. Behold, the Lord stood above it, that's the latter, and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants also shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And now Jacob and his entourage travel on in obedience toward Bethel, and look at the testimony in verse 5. As they journeyed, there was great terror upon the cities which were around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. bad these people only learned the fear of God. It would have been nice if they had learned the love of God, but at least they had a godly fear of this God who was taking care of this family. And there's another testimony that comes out about 450 years later when the Israelites are coming out of bondage in Egypt. Same thing. God says, I will send my terror ahead of you, And throw into confusion all the people among whom you come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs on you. And I will send hornets ahead of you that they may drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites before you. Now the question is, do those same kind of assurances apply to us? And I believe that they do. In fact, we have many assurances that are given in the New Testament that we know applies to us. And it can save us a lot of anxiety. Oh, but wait! What if somebody dies or gets killed? It happens all the time. Yes, it does happen all the time. Guess what? It's a fact that we can count on we're all going to die. So we don't need to worry about that. Serve the Lord, do your responsibility, keep the rules of good health to the best of your ability, and let the Lord take care of the timing. We don't have to worry about that. What we need to be concerned with is seeking the Lord, following Him, following His ways. Does God give the Christians any protection against the enemy? And the answer is yes, 2 Timothy 4.18. The Lord will rescue me, says Paul, from every evil attack and will bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. It didn't say you wouldn't die. You can't get that guarantee from anybody. In fact, God says just the opposite. It's appointed unto men once to die and after that, the judgment. Now in the process of living and dying, sometimes God allows affliction. It's for our good and for His glory. And when He does allow that affliction, we need to just be coming back to Him in prayer, asking Him the purpose for the affliction and how can we turn it into good. And a cross would be a good example of that. It looked very badly on Friday when Christ was being crucified. But then on Sunday, the resurrection, things began to look much better. And when we suffer affliction, even if we die and go to heaven, same thing. We are under God's protection. See Psalm 91. That's a good one. Jacob's devotion. Now God responds and now Jacob responds. What did, God, what did Jacob do in response to God's command when he arrived in Bethel? Well, he built an altar there and apparently worshipped God. We do know that Jacob's spiritual renewal was pleasing to God because God responded to him with blessing. Genesis 35 and verse 9. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram, and he blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Thus he called him Israel. Now you remember he had already told him that back at the Jabbok River at that wrestling match. We're going to see why he has to tell him again. Israel, the prince who prevails with God. Verse 11, God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come forth from you. And the land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your descendants after you. God appeared to Jacob. He blessed him. He changed his name to Israel. He repeated the covenant. Evidently, Jacob's worship was pleasing to God. Then when God departed in verses from speaking in verses 13 through 12 there, Jacob responded by setting up an altar and pouring out a drink offering on it. That hadn't been given yet in the law, but evidently he knew that that would be a good thing to do. And it seems that it was. Then on the way to Bethlehem, a sad event took place in Jacob's life. His beloved wife, Rachel, died in childbirth, giving birth to a second son, Benjamin. And she was buried. And that must have been a very sad time. And we can note in that that our experiences of spiritual renewal will not be an assurance against the trials and testings that come in our lives. But, the good news is, as we draw close to the Lord, we are better able to handle tribulations and afflictions when they come. So, her death came at a time when Jacob was drawing closer to the Lord in this spiritual renewal. What does the new year hold for us? We don't know. Nobody knows. But we do know this. Whatever it is, it's a part of God's sovereign plan for us. And we can have great confidence in that. We also know that we can face whatever it is, sadness, sorrow, whatever, if we're in a right relationship with Him. So that's what we're thinking about this morning. Spiritual renewal and spiritual house cleaning. Today's the day for spiritual renewal. Now, why does God have to repeat things over and over? He told Jacob, basically, what he had already said to him back in Genesis 28, 13 and 14, and Genesis 32, verse 28. And he had already told the same thing to Isaac, his father, and to Abraham, his grandfather. And to Abraham, he told him the same thing at least a half dozen times. Why does God have to do it that way? Good reason. Hebrews 2 and verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Have you ever known anyone who grew up in church? Maybe it's a young person. And it's just kind of ho-hum. Yeah, I hear all this stuff every Sunday, and here we go again. What time are we going to get out of here? Well, we need to be paying closer attention. Because we don't know when the attack may come right around the corner. And God has ways to get our attention. I better be letting the Scriptures speak to me, letting the journal speak to me. If God has to get my attention, sometimes uh, sometimes He uses stringent measures. God knew we have to continually be told things, reminded of things, lest we forget. So we see that all over the Old Testament. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. But make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Remember, ladies, we've said if the dads and the sons get it right, then uh, the girls won't have much problem. Verse 10, remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when the Lord said to me, assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on earth, and that they may teach their children. Proverbs, my son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and health to their whole to all their whole body. And Jesus reminds us in the New Testament, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. How often do you feed your body? Do you eat 3 times a day with snacks in between? How often do you feed your soul? What kind of food would your soul like to have today? I suggest meditation on the Word of God. Joshua eight. this book of the law, now that would be God's Word, the Bible, the book of the law is what they had of it back then, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, And then you will have good success. Great, your soul can eat at night too. All that you want of God's Word and meditating on it. But wait a minute, are you telling me I've got to be thinking about God's Word all the time? No, only if you want to be prosperous and successful. Well, no, wait, I have to do business. That's right. But I'm doing business in a backdrop in my mind and in my heart of what God has said in His Word. You know what I'm talking about. Well, a couple of things in closing here. Pay much closer attention to what we've heard. Now, we haven't had room to put that in your study guide, but you will be familiar with where we're going here. Here's one thing we really need to pay attention to in our day. Genesis 1 through 11. The creation, the fall, the flood, the Tower of Babel. And I think this is the reason that there's such an attack on Genesis and God's creation today. In the New Testament, when we're offered the gospel of Christ, if you don't realize that you're sick, you're probably not going to want to take the medicine. You won't even be interested in the medicine. New Testament tells us we're not only sick, we're dead spiritually in trespasses and sins. Well, the reason we're dead comes from Genesis chapters 2 and 3, and Adam's sin, actually in chapter 3. Some other things come from chapter 1 telling us who we are created in the image of God. And so if we really want to know what our predicament is and then what to do about it, the seed of woman that's going to knock out the serpent there, the little indication of a prophecy way back in Genesis, then we've got to have the creation, the fall, the flood, God's punishment on sin, and even the Tower of Babel. But we've got to focus also on the gospel. Here in Colossians, we see, Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister." The heavens declare the glory of God. Now, it's not my remaining steadfast in the gospel that saves me, but if I am a true believer, I am going to remain steadfast in the gospel. And if I get off track, I'm going to do a little house cleaning and get back on track again. The gospel reminds us of God's grace, and we need to hear that every day. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Regarding grace, here's one of the things we need to get rid of in terms of our spiritual house cleaning. It's the attitude that because of God's grace, sin just doesn't matter anymore. It does matter. And we're to put it off. And we're to mortify the flesh. And we praise the Lord, we're covered by God's grace But yes, sin does still matter. And then God's law. God's law including the commandments of Christ. What's God's law for? It restrains evil. It convicts us of sin. It guides our sanctification. It reveals to us the holy nature of God. God's grace enables us to keep God's law. If you want to summarize it, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Paul tells us some things about God's law in Romans. Verse 3, Romans 8, 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who communicated the law. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. God the Father gave Moses the law on the tablets at Sinai. And Jesus gives the law in the New Testament through his commandments. It's a Trinitarian act. David responds, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou, through thy commandments, hast made me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. And remember, our enemies would be those thoughts and ideologies that creep into our hearts that would pull us away from God. We're not going to be attacked by the Philistines this afternoon, but there may be some thoughts that come. Maybe right now, before we get out of here. And then, the Psalms. There's number four, the Psalms. Here we see the heart of the man of God, men of God, as they face situations in life, even difficult situations, and times when they need comfort. And there's where we get it from the Psalms. This is my comfort in my affliction that thy word has revived me. On 1976, oh, may thy loving kindness comfort me according to thy word to thy servant. And in a familiar one, Psalm 23, Yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The rod is not comfortable while it's being applied, but afterward it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been disciplined by it. Well, we not only want comfort, we want wisdom. Number five, the Proverbs, where we get wisdom. Proverbs 4, 7, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. And in Proverbs 3, beginning in verse 13, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, listen to this, and and the man that getteth understanding, for the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She, wisdom, is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared to wisdom. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her. Do we believe that? If we believe all that, we'll be in the Bible this afternoon digging out that gold and silver and jewels and all those jewels of wisdom that we find there. But we not only need that, we need to focus on the epistles. The epistles tell us how the Christian life is supposed to be lived and it answers questions that come into our mind about the Christian life. 2 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Dear friends... This is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given you by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through your apostles. In 1 John 2, 1, Dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father on our behalf.'" In our defense, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. And look at this First 1 John 1, 1.4. And these things we write unto you that your joy may be full. You want to be joyful this afternoon? Check out some things that John wrote to you right there in the book of First John. In the Gospel of John. Well, the last area that I've included here, which just about wraps it up, would be the history books, which also contain the words of the prophets. And the books of prophecy also contain a lot of the history. So we want to know what was going on back then. How did God work among His people? He's working a lot the same way now. We have a different way of worship. We've done away with the animal sacrifice. There are some things that are changed. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 1 Kings, Elijah speaking. Elijah came near to the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word because everybody was standing around there waiting to see what was going to happen. In verse, and you know what happened, in verse 37, Elijah began to pray, Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that thou, O Lord, art God and that thou hast turned their heart back again you see the prophets tell us what went wrong and then how to fix it and then how to keep from getting back into the same predicament again in the future so god has given us his word and these are the things that we want to focus upon lest we should forget them now let me ask you this morning before i pray Do you need some spiritual renewal in your life? I know you've been thinking about things because it's the new year. And we talked about that some last Sunday. And this is the time when we turn over our new year revolutions that last a few days and we find out we're not so resolved as we thought we were. But we do want to revolt against that old pattern and whatever things need to be cleansed out of our lives. Well, if this is a time that God is speaking to you, then I want to encourage you to take advantage of it. Do what Jacob did. Evaluate what has been holding you down in the past year. Read in your journal and see. It will tell you what's been holding you down. If you've been recording things as time went along, read in the Scripture. It will tell you for sure if there are things that are holding you down. One thing would probably be anxious thoughts. But remember all those promises that God has given us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. Now, if there's someone here who has never come to Christ to trust Him with your life, well, this would be a good way to begin the new year. So as I pray, why don't you examine your heart before this time of the Lord's Supper, and let's ask Him to show us exactly, exactly what's there and what might need to be renewed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are amazed at who You are and Your great plan for us. And Lord, as we think about what You have included in the Bible, everything we need to equip us for life and godliness... Sometimes we find ourselves thinking that the Bible is an ancient book and maybe it doesn't relate to all the stress and strain of our modern life. Lord, help us not to be proud enough to think thoughts like that. We thank you for all you've told us in Scripture, the Gospel and the Psalms and Proverbs, the Epistles, your law, the prophecy of hope that you've given us, And how all these things fit together in one book, in one program that you have for a fallen man and those you would call to yourself. Thank you so much for calling us out of darkness and into your light. And Lord, there might be somebody that you're calling right now to yourself. And if so, I pray that you would give them courage to cooperate with your spirit, to confess their need for forgiveness of sin and to commit his or her life to you. And Lord, for the rest of us who have walked with you, we thank you that your Spirit also convicts us of sin and things that we need to shore up in our lives, weak areas, and things that we need to do differently, and uh, habits that we need to build into our schedule and the spiritual disciplines that are going to carry us on to a closer relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for the military. And we see that you use that as an example in the Christian life. There is order, and there is discipline, and there is a schedule. And Father, we pray that we might be wise enough to trust you for those things in our lives. And then. Help us to remember to be flexible, and when we get off track, we pray that we might seek you in getting back in right relationship with you, even as Jacob and his family did. Thank you for these interesting lessons from your Word, and I pray that you would give us opportunity this afternoon to open up the Word and to allow your Spirit to speak to us through the message that is given there. We pray all these things in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen.